Hey, well, good afternoon, church. My name is Robin, lead pastor of Lift Church, along with my wife, Laura, and it's great to be together on this Sunday afternoon. I'm excited to get into the word today. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, which is where we have been in our daily devos uh, for the last two weeks. We have one more week in Nehemiah this coming week, and then we're into the gospel of Mark. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have loved studying uh, Nehemiah. I found it really encouraging. Uh, I find him such a uh, quite an inspiring character in the in the scriptures. Uh, of course, he's not a perfect man, but uh, to a significant degree, I relate with Nehemiah. I, 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 you know, he's a man of vision. He's a man of courage, but he's also a man of real fear. And uh, I think there's a lot we can learn from him. Now, the last, uh, the last time I was teaching out of Daily Devos, it was Ezra, which was about three weeks ago. We were in the book of James for a few weeks, a bit of an interlude. And so now we're back to uh, our Daily Devos with Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And the, the narrative here is one of post-exile. So the people of Israel, the people, God's people, have come out of exile. They were exiled and uh, conquered people because of their faithlessness and rebellion to God. And they're returning from exile to Jerusalem to find the city in ruins. And the story of Ezra and Nehemiah is a story of how the people worked to rebuild the temple and then under Nehemiah, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, this story takes place about 2,500 years ago in the roughly the 450 BC kind of era. And that's a long time ago. And yet, the human condition hasn't changed that much. We really aren't that different. Sometimes we like to think of ourselves as advanced in the modern world. But the truth is that the issues that we're grappling with, Nehemiah was grappling with them as well. In particular, what does it mean to be a people that live in exile? How do we live in a world where we find ourselves not quite fitting with the dominant culture, not really fitting in, uh, things feel unstable? How do we live? How do we make decisions? How do we be, and this is the question I want to ask today, a people of vision? How do we be a people of vision? But more than just being people of vision, how do we be people of bold vision and big execution? Very interestingly, it's similar themes to the ones that we were unpacking three weeks ago, but with a different flavor, a different spin, and a different person, Nehemiah. And so before we dive in, why don't we take a minute and pray, humble ourselves before God, and ask him to speak to us from his scriptures. And so Jesus, we pray today. Uh, we first of all thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak clearly to us. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for all of scripture, including these ancient books of uh, men and women that lived uh, much before us, yet we have a great deal to learn of how their faithfulness ultimately helped us see your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that we would respond faithfully today. Amen. So Nehemiah was uh, the governor in uh, Judah at that time. He had been appointed to oversee Jerusalem and the people, and he had taken it uh, upon himself, which we'll talk about in a minute, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They were in disarray, which meant that they were subject to the threats of the surrounding nations, especially as they started to establish themselves. There was a risk that they were going to be attacked. So Nehemiah understood that they, they needed to build a wall to protect themselves, but also uh, reestablish their dignity, their sense of uh, cohesion as a people. And so he goes to the king 
and he requests permission to rebuild the wall. And the journey of Nehemiah is a journey of him leading the people through the process of rebuilding this wall and ultimately discovering what it means to be a unified people. In chapter 5, incidentally, the, the people had begun to take advantage of each other, and Nehemiah calls them to repentance, calls them to be generous to one another. In chapter 6, which is where I want to turn, Nehemiah starts to face opposition, and I want to read it. He faces a lot of opposition to building the walls, but his response in chapter 6 is quite telling. So there's a whole lot of names. I'm going to read it, and I'll, I'll try to keep us along. So uh, Nehemiah 6, starting in verse 1, it says this, When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though at that time... <clears throat> I had not installed the doors to the city gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing important work and I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. Sanballat sent me the same message a fifth time by his aide, who had an open letter in his hand, and it was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king. And I've even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf. There is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. That's the king of Persia. So come, let's confer together. Then I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. Hashtag fake news. You are <laughs> inventing them in your own mind. For they were trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. And then Nehemiah prays. He says, but now my God, strengthen my hands. If we jump down to verse 15, we find out what happens as a result of this interchange. The wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month of Elul. When our enemies heard us, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence for they realized that our task had been accomplished by God. Now circle that last line, pay attention to it, that this task of rebuilding the wall had been accomplished by God. It's going to be very important as we draw this message to an end in a few moments. So Nehemiah steps out in bold faith to rebuild this wall. And in the last message I taught, we talked about the, the leadership uh, dynamic that brought about the rebuilding of the temple. But in this session, in this leader, Nehemiah, there's actually a different kind of, of lessons. And the first thing I want to draw out about Nehemiah that, that we can draw into our own lives as we learn to figure out how to follow Jesus is that Nehemiah lived with a really big yes. If you're taking notes, this is my first thought, that Nehemiah had a really big yes. In particular, he had a bold vision. It says in verse 3 that Nehemiah was doing important work and couldn't come down. 
What had happened here is that Nehemiah had seen the state of the walls. In fact, if you go back to chapter one, uh, which was not in this week's Daily Devos, uh, it was the week before, you will remember that Nehemiah was deeply troubled over the state of Jerusalem. In fact, he looked sick. He was so troubled. And the king noticed that Nehemiah was troubled by it. And so Nehemiah committed his best yes, his biggest yes, to building the wall. He gave himself to an important work. Now, what does it mean that Nehemiah had a big yes? Well, it means that he had allowed himself to be so moved by the circumstances of the world around him that he was willing to become a man of action. He was so moved by the circumstances of the world around him that he was not just complacent to say, oh, look at the wall, it's, it's terrible and somebody should do something about it. No, he looked at it and he said, I am going to do something about it. He took responsibility to rebuild the wall. If we are going to be people that are coming out of exile effectively and living in our world as faithful followers of Jesus, we need to be people that are willing to look at the world and to say, it's a mess, but I'm going to do something about it. It's a disaster, but I'm going to help fix it. There's brokenness, but, but I'm going to help bring healing. You see, part of being a Jesus follower is that we are people that take responsibility to address the problems of the world around us. As followers of Jesus, we don't look to somebody else to solve the problem necessarily. You're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to be part of the solution. I'm not going to pawn the brokenness of the world off on somebody else. I'm actually going to help make things better. Why? Well, why is that? Well, because as followers of Jesus, we don't live for ourselves. And Nehemiah starts to model this for us. He he was not a man that was living for his own benefit. There was no benefit for him building the wall to himself, but he understood that it would benefit his people, that it would benefit the world around him, that it would bring stability and safety and security and dignity. What if we were to live the same way to say, you know what, I'm going to help contribute to, to building safety, security, dignity, and the people around me. See, we do not live for ourselves. We live for a big yes that is so much bigger than us. Now, historically, we have taught that, you know, this is largely in the context of our church, right? That that we have a big yes that we have said to campuses. But I want to zoom out for a minute because sometimes I think that when I teach on this, this principle of that, we, we say yes, we step up, we take responsibility, we, we own leadership, we, we make disciples of all nations, these sorts of things. We, we sometimes view it very narrowly in the context of the unique call of our church. But I want us to, to zoom out and see that this call to taking responsibility is actually part of what it means to be a Jesus follower. We see Where we see brokenness, we become people of action. So, for example, it means that in our workplaces, we become people of action, not people of inaction. It means that when we see an opportunity to make something better, we jump on it. In fact, one of our core values as uh, sort of how we work and how we uh, work together is this principle of making it better. 
that we look for opportunities where we can improve something and we make it better. So, so even something as small as uh, we, we show up on a Sunday and we see something that's not great, we say, how, how can I make that better? It means when we show up to work on Monday morning, we ask the question, how can I make it better? It means that when we go to class with our classmates, we ask the question, how can I make the experience better for everybody around me? We are people that are here to bring a make it better attitude to everyone and everything. Where we see brokenness, we become people of action. Nehemiah didn't go to the king and say, King, you need to fix this wall. And he didn't pawn it off on somebody else. He said, no, I'm going to do it. And it's important. He says, I am doing important work. Nehemiah took responsibility for the wall. I was asked recently, how do we live as people of mission in the context of our workplaces? Like, how does that balance? And, and I responded by saying, you know what? One of the best ways we can live as people of, of mission is just by doing really, really good work. By, by doing work in such a way that we come with an attitude that says, I'm going to take responsibility to, to do it better. And I believe that when we show up at our workplaces with this kind of this, I have important work to do, and we do it with our hearts, that opens up trust with our employers, with our colleagues, with our friends, to in turn live a life of greater mission. Part of what Nehemiah did is that he earned credibility with the people of, uh, of, uh, of Judah and more widely because he was a person that took responsibility to make things better. So part of being a people that have a really big yes is that we need to be people of vision. We need to see where things can be made better. And then we need to say yes to helping that happen. And the most important way we do this is by saying yes to the vision of the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus says to us, he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom. You know, it's interesting. Nehemiah gets this invitation from his, his enemies here to, to come and meet with them. And he basically says, no, I can't be distracted because I have important work to do. I have important work to do. I need to build this wall. I need to make my people feel safe. I need to ensure that there's dignity and security here. I, I need to complete the important work. In other words, because Nehemiah had a clear yes, he was able to remain focused when other people demanded his attention. If we don't have a clear yes, we become blown about by the demands of time, our emotions, our energy, uh, circumstances that arise. Having a big, clear yes in front of us is essential to live a stable, secure, and focused life. And Jesus tells us what to say yes to. He says, say yes. Say your biggest yes to the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. You know, the truth is that there are so many things that we can say yes to, that we can give our yes to. So many even potentially good things, but we can't say yes to everything. And there are many bad things that we can say yes to. So I want you just to think for a moment, evaluate your, your calendar for a moment. This is the week. How did you spend your time? What did you say yes to? 
Were they things that were seeking the kingdom? Was your best yes given to the kingdom? If you were focused on the kingdom and somebody came along and said, hey, 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 Robin, would you would you come and and do this work with me? Would you be willing to say, no, I, I can't come because I have important work to do. I have important kingdom work to do. So often we are so easily distracted from giving our best yes to the kingdom. To the important work that Jesus has commissioned us that we get distracted, we get blown off. It's interesting that Sanballat comes five times to beg him to do something else. Five times. He sends aides, he sends important people, gives official letters. And Nehemiah says, no, my best yes is going to the work to which God has commissioned me. So often in the life of learning to follow Jesus is not so much that we give a no to Jesus, but that we only give him a partial yes. A partial yes to Jesus, you know, withholding some of our time, withholding some of our heart, withholding some of our resources, withholding some of our passion. We give a partial yes to Jesus. And then when opportunities come that that are not actually about seeking Jesus, we give our yes to that. You see, we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. All of it. Not a partial yes, not a, a, a half a heart yes, but a wholehearted yes. A yes that says, I will be focused in my life. So many of us give our best yeses to things that are of no eternal consequence. And I want to encourage you. Look at your your schedule. Look at your calendar. Look at your time. What are you saying yes to? What is your best yes going towards? Now, maybe you're sitting here going, well, you know, Robin, that's that's, that's all well and good that, that Nehemiah was a man of vision and he said a big yes, but, but that's not me. I'm not a person of, of big, big, bold vision and, and uh, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be saying yes to. Now, you know, fair enough. I get that. Not everybody lives life uh, looking for opportunities. Maybe even you're a little bit more uh, pessimistically wired, and we need people like that in this world that, that, that look at things and struggle and, and see maybe the things could go, the ways things could go wrong versus the ways things could go right. We need people like that. It's okay. You don't need to beat yourself up. You see, just as Nehemiah needed a bold vision, he also needed people to come alongside him to help execute it. It's not directly out of this story, but there's, uh, I mean, before I jump to this other story, obviously in Nehemiah 6, Nehemiah wasn't the one building the wall. He he recruited people to build the wall uh, with him. But in Nehemiah 5, he, he challenges the people. He calls them to confess their sin, to repent, and to say a big yes to living faithfully. And it's interesting. It says that the whole assembly said Amen. The whole assembly said amen. So essentially, Nehemiah comes along and he says, hey, hey, people of Israel, I see a problem. We're going to fix it. And we're going to come together in unity. And so the people of Israel said amen to the problem that Nehemiah identified. We need to say amen to something. 
You see, when we say a big amen together, that is, uh, we will reap the wards together. But what do I mean by that? Amen literally means, uh, or, or, or means to, to agree, to come into alignment, to say, I will align myself with that. And so for you, if you're, you're like, you know, I'm not really like the vision person. That's, that's not me. I, I'm more of a doer. That, we need that. If you're like, I, I'm, more of a, I'm more of a carer, we need that. If you're like, I'm more of a, uh, of, a, uh, of a thinker, we need that. We need these different personality types. And what we need in the, in the kingdom of God is all these different personalities to say amen to a bold vision. To say, together we will say a big, bold yes to the things of God. Now, it's not just amen after a prayer, sort of like in agreement. It's about wholehearted agreement. One with our heart, soul, actions, uh, lives, emotions, all being brought into alignment together. And so my question is not just what are you saying yes to in your life, but also what are you saying amen to with other brothers and sisters? I want to highlight something about this, for example. So we are metaphorically, or in sort of a literal sense, uh, building our own wall as a church right now. We're building the Next Generation Discipleship Center to serve our whole church. And it is something that we have all been committed to. Uh, it's something that, or we've all been called to. And our church collectively largely has said amen to this. But part of saying amen to a big project is that we all go all in on the project. It is a project that is intended to bring all of us together. One day soon, our entire church is going to be able to share this space together, whether it's uh, by producing content for all of our regions that are far away or being able to bring people to a home, uh, having a space that we can use throughout the week, uh, being able to... Um, better resource and better serve and better equip regions further and further away. It's designed serve and bless everyone. It's really, in a way, kind of the wall that we are building right now. And we've invited our church, not just to, for me as a leader with Laura to say yes to it, but for our whole church to say, amen, we agree, we're going to help make it a reality. And our church has done that really, really, really well. But not all of us, not everybody has been invested. And I want to encourage you to, to, to join with your church family in saying amen to this project. You know, we're uh, in the middle of the summer. We haven't talked about uh, funding and work. It's, you know, it's been, we've intentionally been a little bit more low-key, but we still have about four months to go on the project. And uh, we still need to raise a significant sum of money to see it uh, be completed. Now, God is gracious. He will supply it. I trust him. But it's also about us as a people saying amen. Amen to a vision of seeing every campus be engaged in discipleship. Amen to a vision of seeing people have a home that we can operate of. Amen to uh, announcing to, to the world that, you know what, the church does care about post-secondary campuses and students. That we do care about clear thinking and academia. That we do care about reaching people. That we're not just trying to set up and huddle on our own, but we want to reach people. I pray that we would say amen to that, not just in our words, but in our finances, in our actions, in our willingness to show up so that this project could come to completion. 
That's the amen that we are calling our church to right now. And so I want to encourage you to continue to be praying, to actually be praying. You know, we, we're we not yet done. We have a lot of work to do. Maybe you can put some elbow grease in, get your simple church involved. We still have some work to do. Or more importantly, the biggest need we have is still on the financial side. I encourage you to invest in that project. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Zooming out from our church, what are you saying amen to? What are you saying yes to? Now, here's the thing. Nehemiah says a a really big yes, right? And it's a big yes that then uh, involves the whole nation of of Israel. It's, it's, It's wonderful. But the truth is that it was really, really hard. When we say a big yes to Jesus, the road forward is usually challenging. That's usually quite, quite difficult. We may say, yes, yes, we agree. Yes, yes, amen. Yes, yes, I, I even believe in the discipleship center. I believe in reaching students. I, I believe in making disciples. But then the rubber hits the road and we have to become people of action. And there are two main challenges that we run into. The first is fear and the second is friction. Fear and friction. What do I mean by fear and friction? How do we overcome fear and friction? Well, fear. Before Nehemiah starts to build the wall in Nehemiah chapter 2, he, he, he's, he's approaching the king and it says this, he says this, I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king. And, so he starts, and as he starts talking to the king, if we jump down in chapter 2, it says, so I pray to the God of heavens. Nehemiah was a bold leader, but there was moments where he was overwhelmed with fear. Just because we say a big yes doesn't mean that there won't be fear. Sometimes we can feel like our fear, hesitation, or discomfort is an indication that there is something wrong or or insufficient with us. We can feel guilty for feeling afraid. I've talked to many people over the years and, and they're like, ah, it's really hard. I'm struggling to do this Jesus following thing. I'm, I'm afraid. And then I feel guilty for being afraid. And so that makes me more afraid because now I'm afraid of my fear. And, and, and we just, we go down into a spiral. But the truth is that fear is part of the process. Our fear can be an indicator and a reminder that This is not really about us. Our fear can paralyze us or our fear can compel us to run to the feet of Jesus. Nehemiah was overwhelmed with fear. And so he did, as he opened his mouth, he was praying to God. Fear can drive us to faith. Faith that recognizes our weakness and insufficiency to complete the task of our big yes. If I'm honest, church, I've had many, many instances over the years where I have been paralyzed with fear. Laura will tell you that there are many, many nights where I lie awake and I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what might happen. 
as we have journeyed through this building project, there's been moments where I've been really afraid. Now, we've had unity at our leadership team, at our board, and through our church. It's been a unified project. But at the end of the day, Laura and I still bear a significant weight of responsibility as leaders. And there's been nights where I have laid awake and been afraid, like, Lord, what, what if we don't have enough? What if, what if we're wrong? What if it all goes up in flames? What if it, what if it makes us all look like fools? I've personally invested tens of thousands of dollars into the project. And I've been afraid, like, what if my family now doesn't have enough? There's a real fear there. And I don't mean like I've had like a moment. I mean like weeks where unable to sleep kind of fear, like, like, like a Nehemiah kind of fear, like an overwhelmed with fear. Similarly, there's been many, many moments over the years where, where I've been afraid. Like, what if, what if this call to make disciples is just too, too high? And what if we're all just too crazy? Church, I want to encourage you that even Laura and I as leaders, we experience fear. Often we experience fear. But part of of following Jesus is not the call to the absence of fear or, the, or to experiencing that negative emotion, but rather to be people of faithfulness in the face of our fear. To be people of faithfulness, to say, you know, I am overwhelmed. I may be even paralyzed some days with fear, so I will pray. So I will be full of faith. So I will be bold. I will confront my fear and I will face it not by trying to overcome it in my strength, but in humility and in weakness and in brokenness, coming to the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, I am not enough, but you are enough. I'm overwhelmed with fear, but Jesus, you, you are enough. You are enough. If you feel afraid of your big yes, of giving big yeses to Jesus, I want to encourage you to not feel ashamed of that fear, but to take it and run to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm afraid, but you are enough. I'm scared, but Jesus, you are bigger. That's how the exiles live. They face their fear, not in their strength, but in their weakness at the feet of Jesus. That's the fear dimension, the friction dimension. It says in verse 9, for they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they'll drop their hands from their work and it will never be finished. But Nehemiah prays, but now, my God, strengthen my hands. The truth is that as we work out our yes for Jesus, we will face tremendous friction relationally. We'll face criticism, challenges, opposition, and difficulties. Our yes does not mean that we are guaranteed an easy process. The call to following Jesus and saying yes to his kingdom is a call to persevere in the face of great friction. When we face criticism, we come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I said yes to you. This is why it's so important that our big yes is not a yes to, 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 to man, we, like, we don't say yes to lift church. We don't say yes to an organization. We say yes to Jesus. I'm going to be faithful to what you are calling me to. And then we come to him and say, Jesus, 
I'm going to be faithful with my brothers and sisters, and we're going to walk through this together. Through the friction, through the criticism, we will persevere. You see, where there is fear and where there is friction, we are called to respond in faithfulness. And when we respond in faithfulness, fruitfulness will always follow. Where there is fear and friction, we are called to respond in faithfulness. And where there is faithfulness, fruitfulness will always follow. It says in verse 15 that the wall was completed in 52 days of chapter 6. And that their enemies realized that the task had been accomplished by their God. I want to close with the passage out of Acts chapter 4. There's a very interesting parallel in Acts 4. The church is starting to face opposition. They've given a big yes to Jesus. They're starting to live boldly. Peter and John, however, have been arrested. And the people are afraid. They want to give a big yes to Jesus, but they're afraid. They're facing some friction, some criticism, some opposition. But they also know that Jesus is worth it. So look how they respond. It says in verse uh, 29 of Acts chapter 4 in the early church, it says, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. They met their fear and their fiction and their friction relationally with bold faith. Faith to enable them to be bold people. And as they did that, the Holy Spirit strengthened them supernaturally. There has been in our church over the last number of months, I, I think a marked increase in spiritual hunger in a desire for people to know Jesus, but also in challenges, friction and, and fear in some of us. And I want to, I want to call us to respond with bold faith. Bold faith to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, we can do this. And we've already started to see the Holy Spirit move in significant ways in our church. We saw it in Nicole's healing supernaturally. We've seen it in <clears throat> a number of people responding to Jesus in faith for the very first time. We've seen it in baptisms. Just this week, I was uh, extremely uh, discouraged. I was having a very difficult evening one night. Uh, I had a conflict with, with, uh, with a person, and I was very distraught. And I, would, I hadn't shared with anybody. I'd only shared with Laura what I was feeling. And I received a text message from Jesse Brown, our leader at, at, um, at Guelph, out of the blue on Monday morning. I was quite discouraged. And he just said, Robin, you know, I had a dream about you last night. That you were going through something very difficult and that I needed to be praying for you. So I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Isn't the Holy Spirit amazing? 
Here I am on a Monday morning filled with fear and friction and, and going like, Lord, like, I don't know if I can keep saying yes. I don't know if I can do it. And the Lord saw me and through my brother Jesse spoke to him that night to encourage me. That's just how God cared for me this week. You see, the beauty of being people of faith is that the Holy Spirit is here. And he wants to strengthen us and enable us to do what we can never do on our own. And I believe that we are starting to see a supernatural move of God in our church. I just gave a number of examples. Church, we can see God accomplish the supernatural in our lives. Things that are way beyond what we think is possible in our biggest yes. But I pray that we would live lives of big yeses that are rooted in a faith that our God is a supernatural God. That we would be people of faith, bold, courageous, vibrant faith. As we learn to live as in a world that is challenging and difficult, as life is hard and throws us curveballs, that we would be willing to say, you know what, I have important work to do. And I'm going to live by faith. So Lord, strengthen my hands to do the important things that you've set before me to do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. And I just pray for my, my brothers and sisters that you would encourage them today. That where there is fear, Lord, that you would not meet them in shame, but you would meet them in, in, in encouragement and in joy. Lord, strengthen them today. Lord, where there are people that are watching that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would start to unpack what it means to give a big yes to you, Jesus. That you would start to show them how much you love them, how much you see them, how much you care for them, how much you want to walk in relationship with them. Jesus, that across our entire church in every region, that there would be people who give a big, bold yes to you as Lord. Jesus, I pray that you would get our first yes and our best yes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, church. Have a great week.